Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please uh, take up your Bibles to hear from the living gods uh, from Hebrews chapter 3. It's on page 1002. If you've got one of the blue large prints, it's 1188. And we're continuing our series through the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 1 to 19. Let's listen to God's words to us. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also is faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. These are God's words to us. Would you please take up your Bibles again and open back up to Hebrews chapter 3.
It's lovely to see uh, so many of you here uh, this evening. And if you're a Christian here this evening, I just want you to think about uh, this, this question as we start. It's quite a simple question. How are you doing in your faith? Or, or to put it another way, how, how wonderful is Jesus to you at the moment? I reckon in this room there's going to be a whole spectrum of answers. Some of you will be, you know, you'll be in a good place. You feel your, your heart is trusting him, you're growing in your love for him, you enjoy spending time with him, you've, you've seen his work in your life, perhaps helping you get rid of uh, certain uh, sins. Others of you perhaps kind of in the middle, yeah, okay, I suppose, uh, step by step, could be better, could be worse. Others of you are like, actually this is a really tough time at the moment. The Bible seems dry, your, your prayer life has dried up, Jesus' love kind of feels a bit remote. And the thing is, not only is that spectrum kind of out there amongst us today, if, if you've been a Christian for any time, it, you'll have experienced that, that whole spectrum in your, in your life. The whole lot over a period of time, it, 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 Kind of like waves coming through, kind of it's peaks and troughs as we walk through uh, with Jesus. And in the midst of it all, especially in the troughs, uh, one of the hardest things is actually keeping going, persevering. The temptation it can be just to throw in the towel to say, "No, enough's enough." But here in Hebrews, God has a word for us. He has an encouragement for us this evening to keep going. To keep going, so listen up. And to begin uh, to get into this passage, we've got to just start to see ourselves as the writer uh, sees us. And that will help us as we dig in, because he wants us to see that we are part of the one people of God in the wilderness. That may sound a bit strange, but let's uh, see. So, so far we've seen in the book of Hebrews how glorious the Son of God is. Jesus Christ. We've, we, we've been shown how he's greater than the angels and, and yet came to save us through suffering. But here in chapter 3, he starts, the writer starts to turn the focus onto us and our response. And verses, uh, 3 verses 1 to 6, he slowly does that shift. You can see that in verse 1, he says, consider Jesus, like we've been doing in chapters 1 and 2. But by the end of it, he's talking about our response, verse 6, if indeed we hold fast. And to get his bigger point over these chapters, he wants us to see we're all part of the one people of God. And he does that through this idea of a house. I don't know if you spotted it. In verses 1 to 6, he compares Jesus to Moses. And have a look, verse 2, he says, Moses also was faithful in God's house. Now that's not talking about the the tabernacle, the tent. Because have a look at verse 6, it says, And we are his house. So the house is God's people. People are are metaphorically the stones and the bricks that make up the one house. Or think of it perhaps uh, like a family. We hear it especially kind of to do with royals, don't we? The house of Windsor. Well, we are the house of God. And there's a oneness to it. It's not Israel on one side and then alongside them Christians, kind of two houses. Notice it's one house. One God's people. God's people who are Jews with Moses leading them. And then it's still God's people who are Jews and non-Jews now that Jesus has come. One people. One house. 
But we need to see that because as we move through chapters 3 and 4, the writer wants us to see the similarities between us now and a major experience of God's people in the past. Because he gets into Psalm 95. We're starting it this week and we'll uh, carry on next week. We we sung it at the beginning of our service. and, And Psalm 95 is wanting us to look back at what happened in the wilderness. Verse 8, if you have a look. It says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, this is all about the people who uh, were rescued from Egypt. If you, if, if you know the beginning of your Bible, from Egypt by the plagues, they were taken to Mount Sinai, given God's Ten Commandments, and then they headed through the wilderness towards Israel. And Psalm 95 wants us to start to see ourselves like them, in the wilderness, on the edge of the promised land. We haven't yet got there, but we're on our way. Now, there's an analogy going on here. We are, we are not in a literal wilderness, are we, in Aberdeen? Uh, but they were. We're not about to enter Israel, uh, but they were. That The wilderness points us to what life is like in the present. The promised land points us to the new creation. But as we get into this, both this week and the next, we need to make sure we don't separate the people of God again. It wasn't as if the the Israelites only had the promised land to head to and and it's just us who have the new creation to look forward to. No, the the promised land, yes, it points us to the new creation, but it it also pointed at them. The, The goal for the Israelites wasn't just to get to Israel. It was to enter God's eternal rest. As they entered into Israel after those long years in the wilderness, their hearts were to yearn for God's eternal rest in the new creation all the more. Not to feel like they've just made it. And we'll come back to that more next week as well. But the key thing is this. For them and for us, if the promised land points us to the new creation, then the wilderness points us to what life is is like as a member of God's people in the here and now. We're people in the wilderness. Just try and picture the wilderness, if that helps. If you've ever seen pictures of the area between Egypt and Israel, that will help. But it's, it's dry, uh, mountainous, dusty landscape. The sun beats down on it. There's the odd kind of greeny-brown shrub, the rare moment of life as a small, cool stream winds through a valley. Think of it perhaps spiritually. It's a place of dependence on God. Dependence for our daily bread, our food and water. It can be hard. Every day can feel like a risk. It's, it's also a place of travel. Heading towards God's kingdom. We don't start building permanent homes in the wilderness. We live in tents because we're on our way to our home. It's also a place of community. We, a place where we are traveling. We are moving together. And so, like the Israelites, we're, we're, um, God's rest it sits before us. We're traveling there. We're, we're poised, in a sense, on the edge. And, and here God wants us to see what life in the wilderness should look like. He wants us to know what should characterize our lives in this time. And in chapter 3, it's this. Stand while you're walking. It may sound a bit strange, but stand while you're walking. Let me explain. There are two big if moments in our passage. Verse 6, 
And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. And then we get it again, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So in the midst of the wilderness, what are we to do? We need to hold fast our confidence. We need to hold our original confidence firm. And it's like someone being given a a check for a million pounds and the wind blows. You hold tightly to that check, don't you? You hold fast. You hold firm. We need to stand while we're walking. As As we walk through the wilderness... If we're to be part of God's house, if we're to share in Christ that that glorious salvation through death that we thought about last week, then we need to stick with Jesus. We need to stand on him. He is our rock. He is our confidence. We persevere with him. It's it's like in, in war, when you've got a good position high up on a hill, you stand firm, don't you? You don't let it be taken even as wave after wave of attacks come. You stand And that's what we do in the midst of heading through the wilderness towards the promised land. Yes, we're walking, but we stand while we're walking. We hold fast to Jesus. And there's three things in this passage that helps us to stand, to persevere. And it's, uh, know Christ is over us, take care of what's inside us, and encourage those around us. So firstly, know Christ is over us. 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Jesus. Jesus, utterly faithful. Now, Moses was great. Did you notice that? Moses was faithful too. He was faithful to God. Just think back to the Exodus time. He was faithful to God as all the people started worshipping a golden calf. He was faithful when everyone grumbled. He was faithful when people wanted to go back to Egypt. He stuck with God. He even pleaded for God's people on their behalf. But Jesus, Jesus, he's even more faithful than that. As we saw last week, he wasn't just faithful in the midst of grumbling for us. He was faithful even to suffering and death. He was faithful even when those he came to save fled from him, rejected him, even killed him. He loves his God and his people so much that his life was one of utter obedience and faithfulness. Over the last... A uh, few weeks, there has been a lot of talk about the Queen's faithfulness to her people and her promise. But, but Jesus is just on another level. Steadfast, publicly and privately, in heart and word and deed. And it's this Jesus, it's this Jesus who's over us. Verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses was a servant in God's house, faithful, yes, but pointing us to the one to come. Christ is the son, the one over the house, the one caring for it, protecting it, holding it. If we're to hold fast, if we're to stand while we're walking, then we need to know that it's this Christ who is over us. We don't have a feeble, flip-flop kind of protector. We don't have one who's failed. 
The house we're part of isn't going to crumble. The wood isn't rotting. The slate tiles aren't slipping. No, it's secure. Its foundations are deep. Its stone is well cut and well pointed. In the face of storms, it's immovable. Why? Because Christ is over it. That's why we can hold fast. That's why we can stand. We share in Christ. We are his brothers and sisters. And he's the faithful one over us. He's like a great shield protecting us from the beating sun. No Christ is over us. Now that should be enough for us, shouldn't it? Look, look to Christ. Consider him. Know he's over us. And also because Christ is an example of what it looks like to stay steadfast to the end. But actually we need to take another look at the wilderness generation. Because it all went very wrong for them. We need to see a negative example to keep us standing while we're walking. He says, hold fast in verse 6. And then verse 7, therefore. Therefore, listen to what happened to the wilderness generation. And here they teach us, secondly, to take care of what's inside us. Take care of what's inside us. The big thing God wants us to be is not like the wilderness generation. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Excuse me. Now, the language in the way he's quoted Psalm 95, the rest of what he says in the chapter, it points us to Numbers 14. I'm sure you can just recall what happens in Numbers 14 off the top of your head. But no, Numbers 14, it's the momentous moment uh, when Israel is right on the edge of the promised land. They've, they've got across the desert, they've sent 12 spies in to check what it's like and the enemy, and, and they come back. And if you know the story, 10 of the spies, they, they're like, it's a beautiful land, but we've got no chance. The enemy are too great, they're giants, they're going to crush us. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they say, no, no, they may be big, but God will bring us into this land. God's going to give it to us. But the people, they just have none of it. They say, uh, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Incredible words. God had rescued them from horrific slavery. He'd shown them extraordinary power and might. He'd brought them through the Red Sea. He'd given them the law. He'd provided manna from heaven. And yet they rebelled. They said, thanks, but no thanks. They grumbled. And what what happened to them? They died in the wilderness. God said, okay, you think it would have been better to die in the wilderness? I'll let you die in the wilderness. The whole generation of them died there apart from Joshua and Caleb. They didn't enter the promised land. And soberingly, they didn't enter God's rest. What a picture of the results of rebellion. It's it's tragic, isn't it? Dead bodies lying in the wilderness with a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey right there in God's promise to bring them into it. It takes us back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Sin against God and what's his word? You will surely die. But how did it get to this? Well, here Hebrews 3 shines a light for us. He says, verse 12, Take care, brothers uh, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. 
There's the focus. It's the heart. It's there in verse 10, uh, and then in verse 12 and 15 too. Do not harden your heart. We must take care about what's inside us. Now the heart there, it, 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 he's not talking about your physical, beating, blood-pumping heart. Obviously, it's a word that gets to the center of who we are. It, it's our core, it's the place of our desires, our wants, our affections and decisions. It's our will and emotions. And those that fell away from God in the wilderness, their hearts were hard. They'd shut God out. And you see it in their actions particularly, they grumbled They wished things were different. They distrusted God's plan for them. His power, his care, his provision. They didn't believe in him. And so they just disobeyed him. What a warning. Take care of what's inside us. You know, these guys, they're part of the visible church. They'd they'd walk through the Red Sea. You know, like like being baptized into God's people. They, they'd received the law. They'd read their Bibles. They, they'd learned their doctrines and their catechisms. They'd even seen God's work around the miracles and salvation. And yet their hearts were hearts. Deep down, not, not your way, my way. Rebellion against God and his king. If Christ is over us, to rebel, it's to reject him personally, isn't it? Me first, Jesus. Where today is your heart towards Jesus? Where's mine? Where is your heart towards his words and instruction? Now, how do you tell? Well, perhaps, excuse me, perhaps look at what you think or say. Is grumbling part of your regular speech are you frustrated all the time with what God's given you often wishing life was different because as we grumble what's happening it's our our confidence in Christ slipping through our fingers we don't trust him anymore We're, we're questioning his care and his provision believing that he's not faithful in short we've stopped paying much closer attention to the sun Take care of what's inside us. So to stand. We need to know Christ is over us. We need to take care of what's inside us. And finally, encourage those around us. Encourage those around us. Verse 12 again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This isn't just an individual responsibility we've got here. We are in this together. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Is the day we're in now called today? Well then, we must encourage one another. Exhort one another. And he gives us the reason. It's because sin is so dangerous, verse 13. It's because the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is crafty, it's cunning, it's sly, it twists and changes. You think you've got a handle at it and it comes at you from a different angle. It deceives, it lies, it whispers. This is the better way. This is the good way. Did God really say? Just think of how deceitful it is. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? 
Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? These guys had seen some of the greatest miracles ever recorded in the Bible. And even then, sin deceived them. They had seen millions of people freed under the nose of the greatest world power, Pharaoh himself. And yet, they still didn't trust God. Somehow they thought Egypt was going to be better. The wilderness would be better than God bringing them into a beautiful land. Sin deceives us. The truth can be, can be staring us in the face and we just can't see it. We're blind to it. Over the past week there has been a lot of chat about kind of stories relating to the Queen and, and there's a, quite a good one where she was, she was walking in the grounds near Balmoral, not far from here, uh, with one of her protection detail. Uh, and she met two Americans who did not recognize her. Uh, they got chatting, asked how long she had been in the area, and she said many years. And, and they said, well, surely you must have met the Queen over that time. And now, quick as a flash, she said, well, I haven't, but this guy has, pointing to her protection detail. And, and they start asking him what she's like, and they even get a photo with him. You know, imagine seeing that photo when they get back with the Queen, just kind of in the corner. Uh, they were, but they were utterly blind to who is right in front of them. They needed someone to point out who she was, didn't they? But for, for us, the, the good God is before us. Faithful Christ is over us, and yet we can be utterly blind to it. Sin deceives us. And the consequences, as we've seen, are much more serious than a bit of embarrassment. Verse 18, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who are disobedient, they will not enter my rest, he said. And so in the face of this, verse 13, exhort one another every day. Don't just look inside yourself. Help those around you. Encourage them. We're in this together. Your responsibility is not just to look after yourself. We have responsibility to look after each other. You need them and they need you. Why? Because sin is so deceptive. We, we often can't see what's in our own hearts. We can see the sin of others, sure, but we can't see our own. I remember talking to someone years ago who had given up on going to church because they felt they, they weren't getting anything new from it. I think church was like a restaurant for them at that point. You know, if the menu wasn't any good or it hadn't changed in a while, then they, they just stopped going. Find something else that itches the scratch. But, but that's ignoring the blindness of our hearts, the deceit of sin. We need each other. Now, it can be hard to listen to each other, can't it? When someone encourages us to, to look at Jesus to, uh, or warns us about our sin, well, we can, we can bring up the drawbridge pretty fast, can't we? We shut our hearts. No, you must be wrong. I must be right. We put our fingers in our ears. But why do we think we're any better than the rest of God's people? Are we superhuman? You know, I'm impenetrable to the effects of sin, thank you very much. Not a bit of it. You know, you might have had that moment when someone just points out to you you're on a dangerous road away from God. I don't know, perhaps it was in your love life or your drinking habits. Perhaps it's in your love for money or your, your sharp temper. And, and first of all, it hurts. It was hard to hear and you, you felt judged. You wanted to point out their sin in revenge. But then in God's grace, you started to realize they were right. And now you're just grateful to them. They saved you. They saved you from the edge. 
We need people like that in our lives, don't we? But also we need to speak up ourselves. This week I've been, I've been thinking about a lady who I haven't seen at church for a long time now. And part of me has been thinking, well, well, she needs to wake up. She needs to come back. She needs to sort herself out. But, but this passage has really rebuked me. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. You know, how can I help her stand while she's walking? How can I help her know Christ and take care? But it's not just the obviously drifting, is it? The writer here makes no qualifiers. Let's be encouraging those around us, whoever they may be. But let's especially be on the lookout for those who don't seem to know people. They need you and you need them. Encourage those around us. I hope you've seen as we we wander through the wilderness, as we we travel towards the world to come, in in the peaks and the troughs of life with Christ, we'll... God is guiding us every step of the way. He's our cloud by day and our fire by night. He's, he's put Christ over us, our faithful king. He's, he's shown us the danger of our hearts, warned us to take care. And he's given us each other. That's how we'll stand while we're walking. That's how we hold fast. Christ, he's, he's called us his brothers. He will lead us home. We'll persevere in the wilderness as we follow him, Jesus Christ, the one who is faithful. Amen.